This is Sustainable-ish with me, Jen Gale, and it is great to have you here. Listen in each week and I hope I can brighten up your day and leave you feeling inspired and excited about the magnificent human being that you are and the power that you have to create a better world. You won't find any expectations of eco-warrior perfection here. There's no obligatory tree hugging. You won't be judged if you drive a car, wear leather shoes, or eat the odd pack of Haribo every now and then. I'll be sharing my own gems of wisdom for sustainable-ish living, and I also relentlessly scour the internet for people doing amazing things to tackle the big environmental issues that we're facing, and I hound them until they agree to come on and inspire us all with their fabulousness and the positive change that they're making. So sit back, listen in, and get ready to change the world one baby step at a time. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Sustainable-ish podcast. So here we go again then. Lockdown two or lockdown light for those of us in England and tighter restrictions elsewhere still in the UK. So how are you doing? I hope you're doing okay. If you need a little spot of distraction from everything that's going on, then hopefully the next 30-ish minutes will do just that and will provide you with some ideas for really practical ways you can mend a teeny tiny bit of the world. Because today's episode is all about mending and repair. Did you know keeping clothes in use for just an extra nine months can reduce their carbon and water footprints by between 20 and 30%. 80% of discarded textiles are doomed to landfill or incineration. Only 1% of collected textiles are recycled into new yarns or fibres. And a study in 2017 found that an astonishing 60% of us couldn't sew on a button, one of the most common men's there is. And up until a few years ago, I would have counted myself as one of those 60%. So there is no shame at all if that is you. And we're going to see if we can persuade you to have a little go in today's episode. Because today I'm chatting to someone who is on a mission to skew those stats and get us all mending our clothes. Ross Studd is the founder of the website Repair What You Wear and is passionate about making mending our clothes accessible and as easy as possible. Enjoy. Hello, Ros. Welcome to Sustainable-ish. Hello, Jen. It's very nice to see you. Where are you joining us virtually from today? Um, Well, I live in Aberdeen. I've lived in Aberdeen 11 years and uh, we've made a home here. So it's very, very nice. Lovely. I've never been up as far as Aberdeen, actually. We've been, my father-in-law's Perth, so just um, up from Edinburgh, isn't he? But yeah, lovely part of the world to be in. But um, we were just talking just now, like your restrictions versus our restrictions in lockdown and that sort of thing. And and you said you've had sort of stricter for longer, but hopefully avoiding the lockdown that we're having here in England. Yes, Scotland's been pretty strict on um, mixing for Mm. quite a time. And uh, so we're fine. Our rules are consistent. And while at points I felt a bit jealous about family and friends, Mm. see more people, um, ultimately we've kind of known what we're doing for longer. Yes. You know what you're doing. That's a full stop. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, so can you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about who you are and your background. Yeah, my name is Ros Studd. I came originally from a textiles background. I've just always loved it. And I was a retail buyer for some big names. Uh, when retail was designed, retail was really taking off in the UK because I'm a bit older. Um, so I was the first knitwear buyer for Next for Men. I worked wow. for Esprit, the fashion company in Europe. I exported from Italy and Portugal. I worked for Habitat all over the world. And I did a lot of product development in India. Yeah. I've always liked and cared for craft and society and people. And my trips to India made me feel that I really wanted to do more than develop products for uh -huh. big companies and profit. So I jumped ship and went to work for charities. And at that time, there was very big business, actually, in charity catalogs and retailers in shops. Mm. And I worked for Save the Children, which was the biggest, mm. one of the biggest, and uh, for quite a long time. And then I became freelance and I worked for uh, pretty well all the charities, all the big ones. I did the Oxfam catalog, uh, RHS, um, Shop Foundation, I think, or might have got <laughs> Children's Society. I mean, just yeah. Then I'd had kids of my own. I thought I can't bear any more of this trinketry. You know, I just have gone off stuff. I don't yeah. do stuff in this world. And uh, I went back to my roots and became a teacher uh, in design technology. Okay. Uh, we moved to Scotland and my qualification and the curriculum was a bit different. Mm. So I worked for um, teaching textiles and fashion within the art school on and off. I was a visiting lecturer sort of one, two days a week for about mm. five years. Then I worked for the college and now I teach the evening classes in fashion. And I also have my own classes um, I run about four or five a week normally. Brilliant. Because of COVID. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's so difficult at the moment. You said, you know, your, your sort of background is it sort of textiles and, and you're really interested in, in craft and things. How far removed did you find the sort of, I guess, the sort of knitwear industry, if you like, from craft? You know, we think of knitting and knitting jumpers and then we think of the knitwear that we have in shops. Well, are they sort of two completely disparate things? Well, yes, they are. I mean, I, I don't want to mislead you. I actually love industry. Okay. But it was the subjugation of the makers in mm. India and their, the social inequalities yeah. that turned me towards charity work. Outsourcing is happening a lot in fast fashion. Mm. So that uh, somebody who can a big company that considers themselves well-regulated maybe commissioning, um, subcontracting their business to uh, other organizations yeah. or then subcontract it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can end up with labor that's working in very poor conditions mm. that's not allowed to be unionized. If you do join a union, then you, you risk being fired. Mm. There's immense poverty. The working conditions are dangerous. That's the sort of uh, working condition problem we have in fast fashion. Mm. Um, we also have uh, very poor regulation on pollution. Mm. So at the moment, the fashion industry is responsible for between 7 and 10% of our carbon emissions. I know, it's mad, isn't it? Yeah, 17 to 20% of our global water pollution. Mm. Um, and if that was an oil industry, dare I say it, they'd be taken to court over it. Mm. But there's very little legislation and traceability attached to fast fashion. 
Yeah. And of course, um, you've got this problem where, where there's a lot of pollution in the making. And there's also some very unpleasant conditions for the workers. Yeah. Then it's sold inexpensively here mm. and worn maybe very little. Yeah. And um, then goes in, the, we don't really have a proper textile recycling. Yes, yeah. So it's double whammy. It's pollution at the beginning, exploitation at the beginning, and then an environmental disaster. At the end. <laughs> <laughs> Help! <laughs> and, and we're going to talk about um, what you do now in terms of repair and encouraging people to sort of, I guess, love their clothes and, and keep them going for longer. But before we move on to that, i just really intrigued by your you were sort of moved then to, to charity and then you said you sort of had your kids and you, I can't remember the exact phrase you used, but something like you, you, were, you had enough of trinketry. Um, oh, yeah. Do you remember that sort of quite starkly? That was quite a sort of, and, and what do you think was that, was, was it the kids that were the catalyst or how did that um, sort of connection, that joining the dots between all this stuff come about? Well, I could see the exponential rise in consumerism mm. even 20 years ago. And that really worried me. And in fact, I was hoping we were turning the corner on environmental actions 20 years ago. You know, I mean, I put my kids in washable nappies and saved the money for two holidays. Mm. Um, not at night, I must say. Yes, no, I've never managed it at night. <laughs> <laughs> and they potty trained a lot earlier yeah. as well because they were nasty nappies. Um, but, I, you know, we didn't use that much plastic and I was even researching electric cars back then. So I, I think I was really very concerned back mm. then yeah and um it wasn't just having the children although that you know makes you think more about the future, the future. yeah mm, definitely and i think it's really interesting and this isn't where i thought this conversation would go at all but um i'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this the fact that charity catalogues you know relying on selling this um sort of trinketry or or otherwise um as as a really good fundraiser for them to do their good stuff but actually in some respects the the production and whatever of all that stuff is probably opposed to some of their values and some of the things that they're trying to help it's really difficult isn't it like there's there's been a big thing about comic relief and the red noses and stuff and um and actually we're suddenly realizing that maybe selling stuff to raise money for charity isn't quite the most thought out way of doing things yes and but it's very personal i had that feeling 20 years ago but then I'm, I like style. I like careful decisions. You know, it's not that I'm a, I'm not wearing a hair shirt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do not like too much stuff and never have. Yeah. And I've really loved your Christmas thing because I've been fighting the family Christmas battle for <laughs> 10 years. And um, <laughs> I was so relieved when one of my nieces uh, did the job for me. Oh, so, really? Homemade, handmade or secondhand. Um, oh, Brilliant. God, right. And, and I always say that to people that, you know, we think that we're, if we're the ones who say this and stick our heads above the parapet, everyone's going to be like, oh, and like, you know, rolling their eyes at you and oh, bloody typical and whatever. But actually, it might be that some of the members of the family are going, oh, thank God she said that because I've been <laughs> wanting to say it exactly like you were like, oh, thank God my niece said that because I've been wanting to say this for ages, but haven't dared. Um, oh, well, I had said it actually <laughs> said it on many, many occasions. And they'd all gone, you're such a party pooper, you know, blah, blah. And, and it's not that they're, you know, they're not, they're wise people. And, mm. But they regard it as a nice thing. Whereas I was thinking, I don't want more stuff. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> need more stuff. You know? Yeah. And I think that, that bit that you said about 
um, you know, the, the sort of careful, thoughtful decisions. It's okay to have stuff and to buy things. We just need to do it in a much more thoughtful, considered way, I guess. Um, thinking more about where stuff has come from and the impact that it's having and, and what we're going to do with it when we don't want it anymore. Yeah, the what we're going to do with it when we don't want it is a real issue, especially in clothing. I yes. Was about this because one of the reasons why we've lost our mending skills is because we think it's okay to recycle. Mm. And that connects through to the charity shop thing as well. Yes. Once we started to build an outlet for what we don't wear, we thought mm. we were okay. But we're not really, because being able to recycle all that we use is not possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fibers are mixed uh, now. Uh, you know, jeans are usually three to five percent spandex, which is a synthetic, which makes them wearable. But that means that they're not 100% cotton, therefore mm. cycling is 100% cotton. That's just an example. Yeah. Um, all fashion is downcycled. I think I can say that with confidence. So it'll be turned into components for car wheels or uh, very, very cheap blankets that you use when you're moving house. Or yeah. something. But it's, at the moment, it's recycling is very limited. Yeah. An awful lot of what happens to clothing is that it's uh, sold on to less, should we call them less developed countries? I don't want that to be, but we're exporting our problem. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. And that it, when it goes into India, they won't let any um, intact product, intact clothing go into India. So everything is damaged when it oh, arrives, wow. chopped. So it can't be resold as clothing. Is that to protect their own textile industry? Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah. And um, I was watching a wonderful program on Pani Pat and, and listening to a very passionate young designer through a V&A um, webinar this week uh, talk about Pani Pat and how the 500 companies there sort the clothing into color, uh, grind out all the components and then sort of chop it up and make it into either yarn, which is quite a weak yarn, mm. um, or fibers that can then be used again but it's all pretty poor stuff. And in fact, that's where the word shoddy comes from <laughs> because that's the official term for recycled yarn that's made from a secondary source. Wow. But then when it goes into places like Africa, um, there was a terrible article in EcoAge about um, the flooding in Accra because the secondhand clothing got stuck in the gutters. Wow. I mean, there's horrible stories. And so it just makes it complex. Yes. Yeah, our understanding, I think, or, or, or our thought process is um, we buy these clothes, we wear them, we get bored of them, we give them to the charity shop. We're doing a good thing because the charity shop can sell them on and make money. And, and our assumption is that, you know, someone else in our will come and visit that local charity shop and buy that item and, and take it away and, and wear it. But actually, I don't know if this matches the stats that you've read, but I've read that only between 10 and 30 percent of the stuff that's donated clothing that's donated to charity shops gets sold on within this country and the rest is as you say exported to these developing um countries and i saw um i think it was an itv piece must have been towards the end of last year and and it was you know like we've seen all these sort of mountains of plastic recycling that's just been sort of stockpiled um abroad where we've shipped it abroad it was exactly the same there were just these massive mountains of textiles just stockpiled that they they had no market for it either and we're just sort of doing that kind of out of sight, out of mind thing again. And I think you're exactly right that we've almost come to view charity shops as this sort of panacea almost for our own uh, continued overconsumption. And rather than actually address 
um, that and, and reduce our consumption and, and keep the clothes we've got in use for longer, we sort of, as you say, we kind of feel like it's okay to keep consuming at this level because we're just sort of passing it on to somebody else. That's right. We feel it can be useful beyond us. Mm. But the yeah. fact, I've, I've seen the statistic endlessly and I use it, but uh, obviously these things are difficult to quantify, that 85% of clothing and textiles ends up in landfill. Mm. So it could be that it doesn't end up in landfill in the UK, although at 350,000 tonnes a year, we're doing a pretty good job. Yeah. It ends up in landfill somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I read recently that only 9% can pro- be recycled properly. I'm not quite sure about the middle bit. I do need to do more work on this. It's, it's like, and it's huge when we, you know, when you start delving into the, the fashion industry, as you said, it's for reference, the aviation industry is sort of two to 4% of global greenhouse gas emissions. And when we're talking seven to 10 for fashion, suddenly that's like, wow, that's, double the impact of aviation which we all think of as the the baddie um but actually we can all do something about that because we all wear clothes don't we so this brings us really nicely on to repair what you wear tell us what repair what you wear is I talk for a long time without talking. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is um i've been teaching and that's fine so when i teach i teach about fibers and the environment and all sorts of things and get people to understand I started doing some voluntary work about four years ago, probably, with um, our local uh, food bank, actually. And um, I taught some, well, taught, I worked with some vulnerable groups on mending clothes Mm -hmm. and um, realized how few clothes they owned and how valuable these skills were. Uh, That was one element. And Mm -hmm. then mending my children's school uniform. Mm. So one week I mended three items of school clothing i think oh. school clothing is seriously dull um, <laughs> and although it's cheap to buy uh it's mostly polyester yeah polyester doesn't biodegrade i mean people are quoting about polyester by biodegrading in 20 years wow and the that's not true yeah that, you know if a nappy takes 40 years and that's polyester well oh. we don't know how long i reckon yes. it's 40 and 100 years mm. so i put in a few stitches and I saved myself 30 quid in one week. Yeah. Even the uniform was cheap. So I thought, I know plenty of other people that can't do this. Mm. And it costs them money. And it's bad for the environment. It was simple. It feels like we've lost those repair skills. It, it was almost second nature, I think, for certainly when I think about my grandparents, for them to to mend something and actually until I'm ashamed to say until we spent our year buying nothing new I had never mended anything I just didn't think I could sew a button on I thought it would come off and I would save everything up to give to my mother-in-law for her to do like why has that happened well your behavior is very common because most people talk about their parents and that's because they were truly taught it was part of their education it's dropped out it's not part of an education Mm. Um, my passion is to get it back into the educational curriculum and it's going to be a very, very hard, <laughs> hard <Yeah>. task. <laughs> um, we need to be taught mending skills outside of art. Yes. It's as basic as being able to, it's a core skill. It's a core human skill. There's also lots of benefits to it. So when you're a child, it teaches resilience, hand-eye coordination, uh, planning. So there's all sorts of childhood soft skills. Yes, yeah. Um, then there's a sense of failure very often it didn't matter who whether you are particularly bright or overall there's a high percentage of people who feel that they're not good at it mm. and that puts them off yes it's got nothing whatsoever to being good you just 
fix it. Yeah, <laughs> cobble it back together. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it doesn't have to be beautiful, and you don't have to know that much, and you certainly don't have to be a creative. Yes, and you don't have to be an artist. Yeah, some I think... of the best people I've met have been prisoners, and those who are in the services. Wow. Yeah. And I think because we did this year buying nothing new and I called it my make, do and mend year. So I was like, well, I have to step up here and I have to actually do some mending. And, and as you say, that realization that, you know, okay, so I sew a button on and, and maybe it's not great. And it's a bit of a mess behind the, um, you know, on the opposite side, or it does come off again. Well, all right, I have another go. It's not the end of the world. I think we have these very high expectations that we need to be able to do something to a very high standard in order to do it do you know do you know what I mean and and I remember having a big panic with the I've talked about this before the kids um my eldest was at preschool and he um you know everybody started getting holes in their knees because as parents we were spending a lot of time on our knees and he was crawling around and things and and I was like okay so I'm gonna patch these jeans and then suddenly having this panic like I'm gonna be judged because my child's wearing patched jeans and and I remember when I was young, lots of kids with patches on their jeans, but I couldn't remember seeing kids my son's age with patches on his jeans and feeling very like, we're going to be judged and what are they going to think of us? And, you know, in the end, it was absolutely fine and nobody batted an eyelid. But there's a lot of that around it as well, I think, isn't there? That's the biggest issue, I think. Um, we're very used to creating a world that is perfect. Mm. Um, and it really worries me because we, I somehow, and I almost feel like it's my personal goal, to, to get people to realize that it's terribly important to mend. Mm. If, it, if you're seen as mending, it's not poverty. Yes. It's enlightenment. You've mm. recognized. Um, but it's difficult not to be preachy. Yeah. I think that visible mending is certainly in the fashion world and uh, is very popular. Mm. In the environmentalists, uh, young environmentalists are all into visible mending. Mm. Um, so you just... Have to be proud of what you do, I think. Yeah. And I, but I think visible mending, and this is the first time I've thought about it this way, actually. I, I love it. I think it's a really positive thing. And I, I don't have the skills to invisibly mend a lot of things. So the fact that I can, I can sort of do it and make a feature of it and, um, and then it becomes a very good conversation starter and all those sorts of things is great. But I guess that, that almost comes with it, like this pressure to, to be creative and to make this beautiful, visible mend, because there are some amazingly gorgeous things when you look on social media, aren't there? But I guess the message is that however you mend, it doesn't matter. A functional mend is what we're going for. Well, um, repair what you wear starts from uh, threading a needle. Mm. Because an awful lot of people get annoyed just threading a needle. <laughs> and um, repair what you wear is not an arty site at all. And in fact, it's rather boringly practical. Yeah. And you go into a corner and you watch the videos and you come out thinking, yeah, I can do it. Yeah. And, and we're unique because, because it's what I want to do. I want people to be able to actually mend mm. for themselves and they feel completely skilled up to do something simple. Yeah. Now, if they find they have a skill and they like it and they get more into it, then they can find all sorts of wonderfully creative people to follow. Mm. But I don't want to try and fill that gap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Repair what you wear is like, really, you can do it. Yeah. You can do it. Save money and, you know, hot waste. But it has to go along too with a buy less, buy yeah. well wear longer message as well mm. fashion is trying to change it's desperately trying to change i follow all sorts of people who are involved in circular fashion movements and things like that 
But if Tommy Hilfinger, a huge company, is going to take 10 years to achieve mm. that, and everybody's talking about having 12 years to affect mm. something, mm. Planet, I can't wait. Mm. Yeah, yeah. We'll just but, have to do some things now. And, and I love that, you know, you said one of the things that you sort of started with was, was school uniform, and you've got some brilliant school uniform repairs <laughs> on there. And there's such a case in point. I've done the same thing as well. Like, I mean, we're lucky in that we have a secondhand school uniform service at school. So, you know, people donate it to the PTA and it's all sold on for a pound. So I've always just picked up stuff for the kids from there. But we've had, you know, under the arms, that seam yeah. there tends to go, doesn't it? Um, and shorts, you know, at the, under the, just below the crotch, that yeah. can sometimes go there. And I've literally, you know, spent less than five minutes on the sewing machine and just sort of cobbled this seam back together. And it's been good, you know, to, to see them out because they're growing so quickly. And But I just think, well, would other people presumably would have just sort of thrown that out because they haven't got the skills or the confidence to to do anything about that and it was such a simple thing to do the thing is that the it's it's skills or awareness or Mm. time yes and time um, our site repair what you wear is only for a needle and thread okay to take the view that if you go into sewing machines the likelihood is you're already into sewing yeah 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 and if you really want to tackle it from a an, an issue of funding then there's no investment in yeah needle and thread so i went completely back to basics it doesn't take very long to do those kinds of mends i mean See, I, the reason i use a machine is because i don't trust my hand sewing but maybe i need to watch some of your videos <laughs> you'll probably use it i think i didn't want to start talking about machines yes if you're a not, barrier for some you're not going to invest in a machine yes but it can all you have to do is learn uh, we put in our core mending is uh, backstitch. That's mm-hmm. the most important stitch to learn. You can fix almost anything with backstitch. Putting on a button and a hemming stitch. Yes. And then yeah. there's all of those are taught right and left handed. So yeah. you can do different skills. And then um, obviously threading a needle so that you don't get frustrated before you start. Yes. And th- that's it. And never not. And not oh, okay. In, no, you start off hand sewing just by going over one stitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it stays. That's it. And so if all you learned was those threading needle, obviously, then those three skills, mm-hmm. you could mend 90% of your clothing. Wow. And the thing about the school uniform thing is that we have to get over the fact that if something is mended, you might feel that your child is deprived. Yes. And I think some people, have, we've got to somehow get over that psychologically. Um, 40% apparently of parents, guardians, carers would rather been an item than even attempt to handle and as most of it's polyester and you can't resell it if it's faulty then that's landfill Mm, yeah you know well done to the 60 percent who might attempt to mend it Mm. yeah actually i'm quite surprised that there's there's as much as that yeah may not be this was a small poll Mm. i mean nobody goes around spending money on polls like this do they but um i think it's really important that people try Mm. yeah because you can't make it any worse (laughs) No. Exactly. Yeah. Brilliant. So if somebody's looking to start, obviously come and have a look at um, Repair What You Wear, because as you said, that it's really completely back to basics and completely unthreatening, isn't it? I think that's the thing. People worry that it's, they're not going to be able to do it and it's going to be really complicated. Can we just do with, um, you know, if you go into the supermarket, they often have those like travel repair kits. Is one of them okay? Or do we need to go to a haberdasher's? Like, what do we need? How do we get the things that we need? And what do we need? I just buy a packet of household needles 
um, and some basic threads. And in fact, I stay off white or black, though okay. white does. Um, though, mind you, I don't know, can't remember the color choice in the supermarket. But you just want some fairly tightly woven threads. Don't buy super cheap because they do break. Okay. So fairly tightly woven, so it looks sort of more silky than fluffy. And does it matter if it's polyester or cotton, or does it really matter? At this point, I don't think it does, because the majority of the school uniforms, for instance, are polyester. Polyester, yeah. Not going to make any difference. If you if you really are into it, and you're mending a more expensive item, and you're matching cotton to yeah. You know, you're matching your clothing, then invest in cotton in a cotton item because you know it'll biodegrade. Yes, you know, yeah, it's a bit more sophisticated. Um, and then you just need a little pair of scissors and some pins. That's it. Brilliant. Very inexpensive. Yeah, definitely. And and as you said, it's some. Hopefully, that's accessible for for lots and lots of people. What's the easiest men to get started on then? Backstitch. Okay. And and when can that be used? Um, split t-shirts, split seams, um, underarms and knitwear even. If you look on, I, I do underarms and knitwear um, just to show how you sort of pull pull, un, pull the broken sections together. But then when you're working on seams, you just do uh, backstitch again. Because that quite often happens on t-shirts, doesn't it? I find with the, with the kids and with ours as well, that that hem at the bottom of the t-shirt, that sort of seam around the, the waist, if you like, that, I've had that come undone quite a few times on on various t-shirts yeah just do a back stitch work from the front so you get a single stitch at the front and the back will have a loop on it but it'll be fine so running stitch is probably what we might all have done hopefully maybe at school at primary school i know my kids have been well, doing no. well they may be but they'll be lucky mm, yeah <laughs> enthusiasm of a teacher so so running stitch is that sort of continuous in out in out in out and back stitch as it implies goes back again and is a bit stronger we're stretchy Ah, because of course, if you're doing a running stitch, if you yank, you're only going with the tension of the continuous thread. Yeah. Whereas a running stitch, you're you're creating a loop, and so it gives you more stretch. That's why it's the best stitch to learn. Ah, amazing, amazing. And what kind of reaction have you had from from the site and from the videos? And you know, have you genuinely had people who would never have considered mending before going? I did it. I had a go. And... Yes, we have. Amazing. And I've had people say, I thought I was completely um, cack handed or whatever their, their expression, yeah. but I know I can. Um, and we've had people who say, I, I've forgotten and now I know that I can do mm. stuff. Um, we've got split views because on the mending jeans video, uh, last we've gone up 3,000 views in a week on YouTube. Wow. We've gone up to 17,500 views, which is fantastic. I mean, how many yes. views have you That's fab. But on the knitwear and things, it's much slower. So okay. I'll go there and probably do some fiddling with the website and stuff. But um, we get nice messages and we are who we are. And yeah. You can only do your best, can't you? Yeah. So I was going to say to you sort of like, how do we spread the word? And hopefully, I guess, by by doing things like this. But I guess for those of us who maybe are a bit more confident with mending, I think there's something around having conversations around that as well, isn't there? Saying like, oh God, um, like I, I know you've got one for replacing cuffs on jumpers because why do kids chew the cuffs? Like what is all that about? Um, but you know, to be able to say like to, a, you know, even if, you, if, if a friend is whinging at you about the fact that their child's 
chewed their curve say oh god mine does that as well but do you know what I've seen this great video and I didn't think I'd be able to do it but I had a go and I and I mended it and so having those very gentle conversations where you're not like ramming it down people's throat and you're not having a go at them for throwing their stuff away but you're just sort of gently suggesting and showing that you've done it as well that can be really important I think that's right conversations are really good and uh, also reassuring people that it doesn't have to be arty Yes. And every time I, every time everybody refers to mending, they always refer to darning. Yes. Is, I don't darn <laughs> because, and it's a little technical thing, and, but you're making a woven cloth usually on a knitted product. Right. But also it's extremely difficult to do a nice job. And I really admire people who can. Yes. But I don't feel with all my experience that I, can do a decent enough job so yeah. I've come up with alternatives which are much more accessible you know there are workarounds yeah it doesn't have to be arty it doesn't have to be beautiful it just has to I'm be functional is that I think you save 10 pounds a mend wow if you consider that I mean I've had jackets kids jackets I've used a ladder stitch in the side seam that I've kept going two years oh okay yeah if you amortize take the cost of the original product halve it and then think of, of that as your saving. Yeah. Even kids' tights, you can only buy them in pairs, for instance. Mm. And also, I just think, like I've got, um, uh, I just wear jeans all the time. And I've got a pair of jeans that I managed to find in a charity shop that kind of fit me and they're okay. And I've got the whole kind of thigh chub rub thing going on, you know, with them. And, and, and in the end, I was like, oh, I'm just going to try and patch it because I can't be asked to go look for another pair of jeans. (laughs) So it wasn't the fact, you know, sometimes it's not even necessarily the the money. It's just like, it's so hard to find a pair of jeans that you like and that fit, you know, especially if you're looking in the charity shops. The Um, only thing I would say, a little tip, Jen, get yourself an old t-shirt, plain t-shirt and keep it. mm -hmm. Preferably a cotton one because um, it's more versatile, single jersey Mm -hmm. and sacrifice one pair of jeans Keep those because patching behind is really important. You can patch visually on front, but I very often patch behind and then sew on the front. So you can see there's a patch, um, but it's it's the majority of the colour is still original. Um, So that would be one tip in your... Mending definitely them. to have a sacrificial pair of, of jeans or a um yeah and definitely and you always I mean even you know I was looking at these jeans that I've just fixed and thinking well when they do expire it's still a huge amount of material to go to waste isn't it you just it's frustrating you sort of feel like well somebody because we our duvet cover went as well like had some tears in it and things and thinking that is a massive amount of material to not now be able to to do anything with and that becomes really difficult doesn't it I guess um because the charity shops don't want it and then you just put it in the rag bag or so it's very very difficult isn't it it's a huge amount of resources that we're then wasting for the for one small hole or whatever yeah I think that's really difficult and one of the things that concerns me is that the everyone's excited about bag making the whole time mm-hmm. love it you know you make upcycled bags that's fantastic yeah. but there is a limit to the number of bags you <laughs> <laughs> yeah but, um, I did make a bag for a friend I do sew with a sewing machine I did make a bag for a friend recently that I put up on our social media where I turned three children's pair of jeans uh, into a big family size reusable bag for oh groceries. wow took off the waistbands yeah on as straps took the labels off and sewed them back on 
and then she's got her little boy's jeans they grow oh and because you can i've seen things as well where people you know kids t-shirts and you can make them quite easily into shopping bags can't you and that can be quite a nice um sort of memory thing to do as well can't it to make their tiny little t-shirts into little bags for them to put toys in and stuff like that um yeah um so where can we come and find repair what you wear online repairwhatyouwear.com is the website there's mending instructions there's also a separate tab for school uniforms yes i saw that one it's brilliant i will link to that school uniforms and whatever definitely then we're on facebook same name brilliant Uh, instagram and then the full video selection which is about 40 videos is on youtube and you can subscribe on that one amazing brilliant thank you so much there's so much to talk about as we probably proved with um sort of fashion and textiles and things and but i think exactly your approach around mending that you know we need to make it accessible we need to make it non-threatening we need to make it as easy as possible for people and it sounds like you're doing absolutely all of that with repair what you wear so it's absolutely fabulous thank you thank you jen very nice to chat ish you wonderful sack of loveliness with me jen gale hopefully we've fired some neurons and we've got the old gray matter thinking about what changes you can make in your life this week to live that little bit more sustainably do let me know what that is i love to hear about the changes that people are making big or small every single one counts if you've enjoyed the show and i hope you have do hop over to iTunes to leave a comment or a review and then the bots at iTunes will cotton on to just how awesome it is and it will show up in more people's feeds. Or at least I think that's how it works. Thanks so much for listening. I will catch you next time. Bye.